It's good seeing you here today and all these wonderful faces, just more and more coming. It's, it's beautiful. I just uh, pray that you keep safe and we try our best in here to remain safe. And I started to wear my mask this morning. I showed uh, a few of my masks. It's kind of like a clown's mask, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> okay. I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 18. We started on uh, this passage uh, two weeks ago. We went last week to our July the 4th message. And, and this week we're going to come back to this passage on uh, church discipline, as many of them refer to it, in chapter 18, beginning with verse 12. And I want us to uh, pray very intently about this because this is so important this is something that is a neglect and it's a neglect for most evangelical churches today and this is we're talking about the concern for the straying brother that the father has and that the church should have so as we look at this uh, I want us to look in, in verse 12, and we'll begin there. It says, What do you think if any man has a hundred sheep, and one of them have gone astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go and search for the one that is straying? Now, that doesn't sound logical, does it? Because then you would lose all the others. We talked about that. Sheep are dumb animals, and so they're going to wander off. Um, and if it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray. Not that he wasn't proud for them, but the emphasis was on the repentant or the found, uh, the lost sheep that was found. And so, uh, this it is, not the will of your Father who is in heaven, that one of these little ones perish. He's concerned about all the family of God, and he doesn't want any of them to wander off and uh, to get into sin and to be hurt and cause maybe others to also be hurt with this. So the first part of the message that we looked at was the key word was, do you remember it? Concern. Now, if we're going to go into this church discipline part, I want you to keep that in mind, concern. Churches that carry out this have a great temptation, and this is in our bylaws, really. It's in most churches' bylaws because it's Scripture. But, Constitution and bylaws, but this is... Uh, but it's not carried out. It's not followed through. And I want to say here, it, it's not followed through here either. So that shows a neglect on my part as well as other leadership uh, as well as the church. And I want to say something. This is not just for the leaders of the church. This is for members of the church to deal with members of the church. Now if it comes to something that has to be brought before the church, then there is leadership involved there. And we're going to be talking about that. 
But the problem that we have so often if we're not careful is we become by using this legalistic in the way that we handle it. In one church that I served, in the minutes, it had church discipline of years ago. And it was very interesting. One church discipline was over a lady that had been disciplined by the church for dancing in her home. Some of the deacons went by looking in the windows of different houses and they saw them dancing in this house. Yeah. So she shared this with me and we laughed about it. But you see how legalistic it can become? This is why the word concern should be in there. Because we are, we are there for a purpose and that is to help the other person, aren't we? We're to help the other person. Now I want to throw out something else before we get into the message, really, into it here. Another key thing is, if we're going to be concerned, that means that we're going to have to be a New Testament church that's involved. Involved in fellowship. That means involved in the lives of other believers. The right way. Caring about them, knowing about them. This deals here, and we'll talk about it in a few moments, with a relationship there of people. Relationship with one another in trying to help them. So, first of all, we looked at understanding God's uh, scale of value and how it differs from ours. And his starts out with concern. Now, I want you to look at the passage here that we read we talked about the 99 plus 1. Now we're going to get into verses 15 and following. And if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. You want to be right in this. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Truly I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Again I say to you if, that if two, or, uh, two of you agree on earth, about anything that they may ask and it shall be done for them by my father who is in heaven now what context is that in is it about prayer no it's about church discipline for where two or three are gathered together in my name there I am in their midst now you've got to go back to okay binding and loosing taking care of this church problem the Lord is with you Okay, this is the context. I know we've used it for prayer, and, but you know, it doesn't take two or three for the Lord to be with us in prayer, does it? This is in context with this church discipline. 
So let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's pray and let's pray that hopefully I'll, I'll make it through it all today. But also pray that God's grace will help us to see the truth. I can't make you, I can't reveal to you, I can't teach you the truth without God's help. Nor can you receive it and understand it the way that the Holy Spirit wants you to unless you allow the Holy Spirit to do this. So let's just pray that this will happen. Father, God, your grace, you tell us, is sufficient for every situation that we face. Every opportunity we have in worshiping you, your grace is sufficient for us to be in the right spirit, be in the right mind, have the right heart, and allow you to do a work that you so desire to do in our lives. So I just pray that its sufficiency will be felt in our lives, that we will not hinder you in any way, that we'll be open to the truth. And Lord, may the Holy Spirit reveal the truth. Guide my words, Lord, the attitude that I speak with, the, the heart that it comes from, and I pray that it will all bring honor and glory to your name. Well, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, second of all, how the church is to participate. Now, listen to this very carefully. With Christ. We're not to go out on our own. With Christ in his pursuit of a straying believer. He's concerned about him. We should be concerned about him. So we are doing this because he wants us to do this. Now, if your brother sins, it says, this is a statement that meets more than what the eye allows us to see or has allowed us to see many times. When we see this statement, we say, you know, this sounds strange. I mean, look at it. If your brother sins, what does the Bible teach about sinning? If he sins... All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what does he mean there? All have sinned and all continue to sin. Because John says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there is a continuing to sin in our lives. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, first we should look at... Uh, what is being placed here before us and first of all we should see that Jesus is seeking to restore a sinning brother that's what's the emphasis here he is seeking to restore a sinning brother and we are to be with him here second of all we see that it's not to be neglected. It's a very important matter with the Lord because the family of God is important to God. Failure to do this is really one of the greatest sins in our church today, in our modern Christianity. Church, church discipline is commonly thought to refer only to the official cases in which the sin is extremely serious and the entire church becomes informed about it 
involved with the effort to correct this brother or sister in sin. But in reality, and this is very important, as I mentioned earlier, all of us are to be involved in this. Church discipline is more biblically understood as covering every effort, every effort by any individual or any group of individuals in the church in, in uh, turning or a straying bu- uh, brother back to his righteous living or to the right way of life. And for this reason, this is why Jesus, first of all, addresses every church's member responsibility. Every church member responsibility. Not just the pastor, not just the deacons, not just the teachers, not just leadership. Every member's responsibility. Because you're to go to your brother in private. First of all, between you and him or her. To the sinning brother. Why? To show him or her their sin. Showing there means to bring to light or to expose. This is so very important. To show them their sin. You remember the story of David and Nathan? Nathan came to David to show him his sin. Not to reprove him and be judgmental in doing so he came because he loved David God was calling him to do it God was seeking out David and Nathan was just following he cared about his spiritual welfare and we are to the to do the same with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ it may be just a conversation in talking with them in private. It may be just a friend coming to another friend and telling them about it. They detect this in their life. It could be as far as going as a preacher going to them or a Sunday school teacher or some other leader going to them. We're to share with them their need for repentance because we see where it's leading them and we don't we see the danger there and we don't want them to be hurt we don't want their lives to be destroyed and also other lives to be destroyed in this so it is our responsibility just like it was Nathan's and and just like every individual This is why it's so important that the Lord wants us to walk upright, to walk righteously, to be in fellowship with Him. doesn't mean that we're perfect, but we're we're striving for that relationship with Him at the time. That way we have a greater opportunity and a greater chance of going to Him with the right motive, right attitude, right spirit. And we won't be judgmental as many people become a lot of times by putting themselves above the others. We go in humility 
And so as we see this, we see that their need is to turn from their sin by the grace of God, to be forgiven for their sin, and to show in their life a life that has genuinely changed. And we're to help them in this. The first step is the, the, the most gentle step of, in this restoring process, restoring a straying brother in this church discipline, if you will. Now, there's some things about this that you need to understand. This is why church is so important to be together, to have a relationship with one another, to have fellowship with one another, to be into each other's lives. And by that, I'm not saying, and I'll mention this later on, I'm not saying be nosy and, and try and find out something about that person so that you can, you can uh, you know, call their hand on it. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, being in their lives is finding out about them, caring about them, knowing about them, knowing their hurts, finding out their weaknesses to help them, and doing all of this. And so, uh, you know, it's based on a foundation of a relationship between the confronter and the straying brother. This is what he's showing here. There is a relationship, and there should be relationships in the church. Now, is this not contrary to what our culture is trying to teach so often? Isolation, don't bother me, I've got my own life, you don't, you don't get into my business, I won't get into your business. This type thing. Jesus is saying, no, 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 we should be into each other's life in a caring way so that if we see somebody slipping by the wayside stumbling and and not growing in the Lord the way that they should we know what's going where they're going down that road and what can happen and we want to jump in there to help not because we're more righteous but because we care about that individual and we say hey you know I don't want you going down that road Man, you're wandering off. You're, you're getting away from God. And, and there's so many things that, that can happen there. You can't be an island isolated to yourself and be a believer, a faithful believer for the Lord. And I don't want that to happen. All kinds of things can happen to you and your family. Second of all, so that's perceived as a loving act, right? And then second of all, it's done in private to preserve or pers uh, preserve the dignity of the straying brother. Not only does it uh, perceive, it's to be perceived as a loving act because there's a, that relationship that has been built and you love that brother. And you don't want anything bad to happen to him. But second of all, it's done in private to preserve the dignity of the straying brother. In other words, the smaller the number to begin with that people, where people are involved, the more likely the brother's embarrassment will not be a hindrance to his further growth or her further growth. Man, if you come down with a big old group, what do you, uh, to, to begin with, what do you think? Whoa, wait a minute. You back away. You're ganging up on me. Man, what are you doing? 
No, you go to them as a brother in Christ and you just help them. Not so that hopefully they won't be embarrassed and that they'll make that change. And then the confronter's main task, third, is to, to show the straying brother his sin. That's his goal. That's his main task, to help them see this hoping and praying that he will not only see it, but he will respond correctly. Then, this is in the present tense. What does that tell us in the language? It implies that it's a gentle, patient series of confrontations. It's not just one, and that's it. Man, you go to them, you talk to them over and over and over again. I mean, it's a continuous thing. Letting them know that, hey, man, I love you. And I don't want this to happen to you. And then, fifth, we're to remember at all times that the motive of the action, the goal of the action is what? Concern, which is love and we're trying to make it as easy as possible for the straying brother or sister to receive the message and make that change we're to make every effort to avoid that public or 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 uh, that even that private humiliation that might come and you know this is this means that every church member has this responsibility. And that responsibility means that, we're, that when we're doing it, that we're to remain focused on the central purpose of restoration, concern, love. And we're to do this properly. So that means that it takes, if it's in the present tense, a continuous time of prayer. It's not just all at once. It's prayer and time. And six, effective church discipline requires an investment before the first step. In other words, you don't get involved with just this first step. There better be a building up of a relationship there. You better be concerned. There better be a, a, a brother and sister type of relationship there. That has been going on. That is in the history of the, uh, that's prior to all of this, between the two. It involves sharing experiences with one another. In other words, that's what friendship is, isn't it? A Christian friendship, Christian brothership, showing trust. It involves that relationship where you're with that person that you've been transparent and they, you see, all of this is important because if somebody just out of the blue comes to them, what are they going to do? They're going to be offensive. They're going to be hesitant. They're going to think that they're judgmental, but hopefully they won't with someone who is caring and loving and has built a relationship around them. It involves that listening to one another's priorities, that knowing their dreams and, and knowing their fears. So 
our, our success involves, uh, involved in the pursuit of a straying brother depends on our prior investment. This comes back to church. Are we investing our lives in one another? And then we need to be prepared. Prepared for the outcome. He might listen. And if he does, you've won a brother and praise God for it. It's like rescuing someone that's drowned or drowning. And you pull them out. You do everything you can and, you, and they reach out to your hand and they come within your reach. And you're able to pull them out of the drowning water. But if we refuse, and this is very important, if we refuse to do that, then we are not acting like a brother. And how many, I'm, I'm sorry, but how many of us, including me, how many evangelical churches today have refused to act like a brother? If we refuse to try and help, we're doing just what Jesus told us not to do. And that is, he doesn't write anybody off, but we're writing somebody off. If we don't care about them, then our actions show that we're what? Just shoving them aside, right? And do you know what else? What else we're doing? When we refuse to help, we're taking refuge in the fact that the kingdom can take some losses. We're taking security in the fact that, oh, okay, God can take a loss there. God's kingdom can take a loss. Jesus tells us that that is not how his people think. Or how they should think. They throw a lifeline out to help. And we should too. Now Matthew 18, 16 gives us a second response that might come after the straying brother has been approached. If he doesn't listen, this dreaded response deals with the second step in trying to restore the straying brother. If he doesn't listen... Oh, this is what you don't like to hear. Second, the second step to restoring a, a straying brother is a firmer approach than the first. A little bit firmer. In verse 16, Jesus says, But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, Every fact may be confirmed. Now this, guard, this helps us guard against being self-righteous. Helps us guard against being hurt by somebody. It helps us guard against being uh, uh, angry with someone to the point where we misconstrue things and we blow things out of proportion. So this second step is a helpful step for both parties but especially for the confronter 
says the mouth of two or three witnesses. This was confirmed, this was taught in Deuteronomy 19, 15, and also Numbers 35, uh, 30, and, and uh, uh, you know, and we see through this, these numbers are based on the requirement under the Mosaic law that no accusations should be taken seriously unless it was confirmed by the testimony of more than one witness. Now what, as I said, is the, uh, you know, the purpose of the additional witnesses? Well, a few purposes. One, as I told, to be helpful is to bring added loving persuasion to the uh, straying brother also so that he'll realize the seriousness of his sin or her sin. To prepare for the possibility of the straying brother's continued resistance. That means in the case there would be a third party testimony concerning what happened in the confrontation and it wouldn't get into a knockdown drag out type of argument. Well that's just your opinion of it you know. And then third to provide one or two referees or moderators in the continued confrontation between the original confronter and the straying brother. Witnesses are important as shared in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. You know, today you can't bring a case against one who is thought to be guilty without evidence, can you? And if you have someone to help collaborate that, then you're, you know, you're a lot more uh, at ease in the sense of going before them and letting them know that this was wrong because you have other witnesses. And so this Second step is not totally public, but it's not totally private. It's kind of the in-between, I guess you would say. It involves more than just one person. But it's not to be public before the church yet. But it's not going alone either. One question that Jesus did not uh, address in this passage and a lot of people have asked is how long the moderators should wait for the brother to respond before progressing from the second step to the latter step. Well, all I can say is it seems like it will vary from situation to situation. But there must always be a balance there between the, uh, the gracious waiting, patience that's, that's uh, mentioned here, and unwavering truthfulness. You see, if you wait too long, then they may think that sin is okay, and others may think that sin's okay, and, and they'll go, and other people may just go about their life, and that church doesn't take it seriously. But if you act too soon, then you may be acting ahead of God. So it's a very touchy situation. There is a lot of prayer that goes into it. And always the concern of bringing that brother back or that sister back into fellowship. But there comes a time when there must be the third stage, which is the firmest. And if he refuses to listen to them in verse 17... 
tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as Gentile and a tax gatherer. Now, what is he talking about there? Well, we're, we're going to explain this in just a moment. But one thing I want to reiterate, and that is one of the things lost in our evangelical churches today is church discipline. It's not there for the most part. When we hear it, why? Well, when we hear it in our contemporary culture, we hear it as in, in an entirely negative perspective, right? I mean, it's always negative terms. For example, when people talk about disciplining their children, those who hear it think that the parents are mean in, public, in, in punishing the children. They thank them to be mean and harsh and unloving. Now, I want to say first, before I go any further, I disagree with these liberal therapists. I'm sorry. You may disagree with me. That's fine. You have a right to be wrong. No, I'm just kidding. But these liberal therapists who states punishment is wrong, who says you must deal with them solely with encouragement, you cannot discipline your child without there being punishment. Those who teach that it's wrong to punish a child don't know about true discipline. Raising a child with just mere encouragement, especially when they're doing wrong, is creating havoc for the child and their life. Now, preacher, I disagree with you. Like I said, you know, that's fine. Uh, when your heart gets right, then you, you'll see it right. No, discipline requires punishment. Jesus teaches that in the scripture but discipline also requires much more than just punishment it involves teaching true discipline involves teaching which we have fallen down on throughout the years we give the dis we give the punishment but we don't do the teaching with it it requires discipling Bringing them along and helping them understand where the wrong is wrong and the right is right. It involves also encouragement. You can't have the one side without the other. But there is a balance. You see, punishment is only a consequence of bad behavior. Discipline takes place not just when we're experiencing the, the consequences of wrong behavior. Discipline takes place or should take place in the church and in the family at all times. We should be teaching them and encouraging them and, and discipling them in the Lord through this. We should be familiar enough with every one of our members of our family that when something is, uh, someone is struggling, then we go and help them. When our child is struggling, we go and help them. And the same way should be exemplified in the church 
when we detect something is wrong in someone's life, whether it's struggling or whether it's a sin or whether it's something else, we should go to them. We should ask them, hey, I've heard or I, I know that this is an area in your life which you're struggling with. And I just want you to know that, hey, I'm not perfect. But God's placed you upon my heart. And I want to help. How can I help you? Just like a parent with a child who says, I want you to be stronger in this area. I want you to be stronger in this area, and I want to help you to be stronger in this area. Church discipline is not all negative. But the world, the contemporary world, would let us think so. When it comes to a restorative and a corrective church, that involves discipline. It comes down to a process. Jesus, helpfully, is there to lead us through. He's given us guidance. This is the king of the kingdom giving us discipline for the church in the kingdom. Jesus is telling us this is how gospel people live and this is how gospel people deal with sin. Now Jesus tells us in verses 15 through 17, and if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. <coughs> and if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you. So that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. <coughs> and if he refuses to listen even to the church, <coughs> strain my voice here, let him be to you a Gentile, and a tax gatherer. In other words, an unbeliever. Americans have a different understanding of self than virtually any people who have lived before. I want you to think about this. The intellectual tra tra uh, trajectory of Western civilization has been towards the arrival of a Fully autonomous individual. You remember me talking about that? Fully autonomous. We think ourselves as living under ourselves. Totally. We are taught that no one has a right to invade our privacy. And we've been taught not to invade someone else. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. You're God sent. But the attitude in America is that we're to center on self. And that is what? Antithetical. It is in opposition to the gospel. The Bible does not teach that the church is made up of autonomous individuals, each of who have autonomous zones and privacies. Instead, the church is made up of redeemed people who 
get into each other's lives. Now, when I say getting into each other's lives, it doesn't mean getting into their lives, as I mentioned earlier, to try and find something on them that's wrong. That's characteristic of what the world likes to do in these news media things and everything else. Instead, believers enter into the lives of others out of godly concern to preserve one another to encourage one another to grow Christ-like. Jesus makes it very clear that there is a right and a wrong way to do this. There is a right way to correct our brother, and there is a right and wrong way to deal with the issues in the church. To short-circuit this process is to violate the gospel. The goal is not to humiliate your brother or sister. The goal is not to tear down, but to build up. The goal is not to scandalize, but to avoid scandalization. The obvious goal is repentance. But without confession of sin, you have someone who is in the church remaining in the sin and is refusing correction. That is in opposition also to the gospel. To refuse correction from a brother or sister in Christ who is rightfully correcting them and their sins is to reject what it means to be a gospel person. What it means to be a disciple of Christ. What it means to be a part of the body of Christ. What Jesus had in mind when he said to tell the church is somewhat in question among many. But what we should understand is if it's carried through as I shared with you earlier through these proper steps. Then when it comes to that latter part and they refuse to listen then you must bring it before the church. That's tough. We're to treat them, he says, as Gentiles or tax collectors. And what is that? That's basically just an unbeliever. It is the unrepentant sinner who is saying, I need this, but they refuse to accept it. It's not the church saying they need it. As much as the church being concerned about them, And saying, I hope that they can see the light. It's the unrepentant sinner saying, I need this discipline by their actions, but refusing to see that they need it. And so they must be brought before the church. Church discipline is to be a process where the church deals with sin as it arrives in its agenda. And then the last couple of verses on it says uh, in 18 verse 18 truly I say to you whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loose in heaven and Jesus answered and said to him blessed are you Simon Barjona because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you you remember that back in in uh, chapter 16 where he said that he's talking here about the church 
just like he was referencing back there at the beginning, the church. And you remember back in, in verse chap, I mean chapter 16, verses uh, 18 and 19, And I will also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. I will give you the keys of kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? Shall be bound in heaven, whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. The power of the keys in verse 18, though, is a little difference. It is still authority, binding and loosing, but here in the context, it's dealing with the, the power authority that's given to the church, whereby we are to bind by the word of God and we are to loose by the word of God. We are to bind certain behaviors and commands we are to bind certain obligations and commitments and we are loosed to permitted to do certain things that will glorify God doing them in the right motive in the right way and so that is the responsibility of the church we have these keys we have this authority to go out and do this and do it in a proper way because Jesus has told us how to do it the church first of all fulfills that duty through its teaching ministry. We're bound and loose by the reading and the preaching and teaching of the word. And we are bound and loose by the common fellowship together. The growing in grace. And so in verses 19 through 20, again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth after anything that they may ask, it shall be done by them by the Father who is in heaven. And where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I may be in their midst. So we first of all have that authority through the word of God. We're to be taught that authority uh, to handle things correctly, to live correctly. Now he's telling us as we close here, again I say where that if two or three agree on earth, one of the greatest problems, as I said earlier in Christianity, is taking these verses out of context. Any verses out of context, anywhere, but here, uh, often, I have and others have. Many have taken this for prayers to be unanswered, but that's not what he's talking about here. They're, uh, they're talking about church discipline, and they say that where two or three are agreeing upon something, these are the witnesses, asking God for it, praying about it, then it will happen. That is not... That is the context here. In, in other words, he'll give you the authority. He'll go with you to do this and handle this correctly. The context is about restorative church discipline. It's the context about forgiveness of sins. The context here is about the grace and mercy of God. And here he's saying, when believers come together, if only two, uh, there would only be two, uh, that ask, you know, there and want, they ask for forgiveness, there I will be in their midst. And so the word, the clause there, if uh, the condition upon God will base the endorsement of the disciplinary action here, uh, the pursuit of the brother and, and the zealous love of the Father in the hearts of all. So by this promise to be present with them, Jesus was claiming a robe belonging to the Almighty God. And he was saying, if you carry this out in the proper way, which we're afraid to do today, then he says, I will be with you. 
if you have the right attitude and you pray about it and, you, and you're, you're working together as a church, as a body of Christ, and you know each other and you're concerned about each other and you see this happening, if you go and you pray about it and you have the right heart and right attitude and you're not judgmental and you're humbly going, God says, hey, I'm pushing you that direction. I'm concerned about that individual. I'll go with you. And then if it has to be with two or three, I will go with you if you have the right attitude. And then, unfortunately, if it has to be brought before the church, there I'll be with you also. But do it, all of it, in a caring, concerning, loving way. We as churches... Me as a pastor, other pastors, we need to be true to God's word, all of God's word. And that means that also. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, help us, not just me and, 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 and not just Sunday school teachers or deacons or other leaders. Help all of us be in each other's lives to be concerned. To be so concerned that we recognize when something is hurting in our brother or, or they're drifting away, our sister, and us caring enough to go. But praying and being prepared ourselves and, and being right in spirit. And having that relationship with them where, where they know that it's not coming out of isolation, that it's, it's coming because of concern and, and a relationship that has been built there. Where they're more apt to listen because they see our concern. They've known it. They understand it. Help us to be that way, God. From here the remainder before you until you come back for the church help us to be faithful in that manner help us not care about what other churches might do but help us to be faithful to that in Jesus name